The bell's rung, and welcome to another edition of the Icon Showdown podcast. I'm your trusty host, Ian and Hennigan, and today we're going to be breaking down the two most important horror films of the year 2010. Uh, we will be showdowning Insidious versus Let Me In, and this is one of the rare inclusions where we have a PG-13 rating for Insidious. Nevertheless, it is scary, and it is worthy of being showdowned. Notably so, this is the same year that the new incarnation of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street came out, but to be honest with you, it just doesn't stack up to these two. These two are uh, much more potent films as horrors during that year. Um, in the Icon Showdown podcast, as we do, we like to break down these films in terms of a particular criterion. In this case, we're going to be looking at antagonist, uh, ensemble, as well as the surviving characters, uh, the setting, as well as the deeper meanings involved, and finally, we're going to talk about the fright factor a little bit. As we do here on the Icon Showdown podcast, we'd like to start talking about the one that was released first, which in this case was Insidious, which was released on September 14th of 2010. Let Me In was released October 1st. So, pretty relatively close to one another. We both have fall releases here. Um, we're going to first start talking about our antagonist in... Insidious, we have entities, is what they are called. Um, ultimately, our big bad is the lipstick face demon. He's also called the fire on the face demon. Um, he is not a ghost, similar to what goes on in paranormal activity, where they kind of make this differentiation between ghosts and demons. There are those that lived as human that go on into this next realm, what they call the further in Insidious. Um, that are ultimately human and certainly they want to come back, but the demons don't know what it's like to be human. In this case, we have actor Joseph Bishara as our lipstick face demon. He has some of the most uh, incredible uh, jump scares in the film, I would argue. And frankly, the makeup's great. He has hooves as well for his feet, so he is demonic in nature and certainly can't uh, resonate with us humans, cannot relate to us in any way. So when we talk about his motivations, what does he want? It's simple. He wants to come back, not necessarily come back, but come to Earth for the first time in demon form and wreak havoc. He wants to cause ill for people. He wants to take over the body of the child Dalton, um, whose parents, played by Rose Byrne and Patrick Wilson, are just having none of it. Um, poor Dalton falls into a terrific coma. Um, which really puts him out of commission for months at end. Uh, they initially think that it's because he fell off a ladder, might have hurt his head in some way, concussed. Um, but what we learn is that he is um, a pro-astral projector, and he has the capacity to go into this further realm like his father does as well. Uh, beyond our entities, which include a variety of ghosts, but most significantly our lipstick face demon, um, one could argue that the father himself is an antagonist of sorts because he is not as attentive to his wife, uh, Renee, as he should be. Uh, when things start dissembling, he is not there as much as he should be. Um, interestingly, he is a teacher and he has the capacity to own this crazy huge house. So as a teacher, I found this um, kind of the weakest uh, reality in the whole film and that not only do they have this ginormo house, but they have the capacity to move within a year to another house, um, taking any sort of financial hit that's involved there. Beyond um, those entities that are involved, you could also argue Dalton himself is an antagonist because 
he is the one that is causing the strife between his parents. But ultimately, he is our main victim um, and is taunted, tormented, and a lot like Will Byers from The Stranger Things. He's caught in this other realm and he is being hunted down like a demigorgon-like figure. Um, granted, this comes out before Stranger Things, but I see a lot of similarities involved. And if you were to look at Stranger Things and what sort of writing it would get, it would probably get a PG-13 similar to Insidious, um, but I still find it scary and awesome. Um, okay, so when we talk beyond the motivations of this character, what else is going on in terms of the antagonist and Insidious? We have the aesthetic, which is awesome. Um, as noted before, we have the hooves, we have the black and red paint, which translate really well to children's drawings in which we see. We also see the professional sketch by our... Um, psychic woman demonologist who comes in there with her cronies who draws it out uh, it's the fireface demon is validly scary it's it's no it's no joke um, I like the way that this is depicted and there's one particular jump scare where he pops up behind Patrick Wilson's character while the mom is talking to him about her history and connection to the demonologist that it, during daylight really really gets to you Vocalization, we don't really hear him talk that much. There's some grunts, growls, and he's he talks through the conduits. Um, but the vocalization of the demon himself is not really uh, its own. We do hear Patrick Wilson become this entity there at the end, um, but it's only Patrick Wilson's voice. So in terms of the audibility vocalizations, I'm not super impressed with that. In terms of originality as well, this is not something new. We have a haunted house. We have uh, stronger demons over others living within this. Oren Pelly is a producer on this, and he did Paranormal Activity, and this has a lot of the same moves that Paranormal Activity pulls off, but this is a much better production. We have director James Wan, who goes on and do Aquaman later. Um, really hidden out of the park in terms of the production value. Um, let's pop over then and talk about our antagonist and Let Me In, which is sort of questionable who this ultimately is because we have a lot of domestic issues here. You could argue that Cara Bueno, who interestingly is the mom of Finn in Stranger Things, um, Cara Bueno is the mother of Owen in here. So ultimately Owen is our 12-year-old boy who is dealing with Chloe Grace Moritz Abbey, a vampire, who, a child vampire at that who is stuck in the body of a 12-year-old. We've seen this before in Interview with a Vampire. Um, this this girl, Chloe Moritz, actually takes on more of a juvenile sort of personality, even though she does acknowledge I've been 12 for a very long time. Um, unlike uh, Kirsten Dunst's vampire child in Interview, I do feel like this one has kind of still stuck in that child role, has not evolved, has not matured uh, similarly, which I think is actually more scary because her... Um, ferociousness and her like immature tactics are something that is, makes her um, a profound antagonist to me. You could also argue that her adult companion, played by Oscar winner Richard Jenkins, is also a bit of an antagonist because he is the one that's killing innocent people to uh, gather up their blood to be able to feed her with, and ultimately he does get a little sloppy at this, and ultimately uh, it costs him his life. Um, before he's able to really kind of suffer beyond belief, uh, Chloe Moritz's vampire Abby does take him out, puts him out of his misery. Uh, she's, she's tenaciously horrific, though. Uh, she does not mess around. 
There are some amazing scenes uh, where she's climbing a tree and dropping down like a cougar on people to catch them, baiting people in uh, alleys or under under bridges. She does a great job being this innocent, frightening figure, as as well as Kirsten Dunst does, if not maybe better. I really I really appreciate Chloe Grace Moritz as Abby as the vampire in here. The aesthetic is great. We see very very subtle makeup play when she does turn into the vampire. It's nothing over the top. It's not like a Buffy vampire sort of uh, big huge brow. This is more just like subtle eye shifts. You see the teeth. You see kind of a slight change in the physiology of the face. Uh, I dig it. I think it's actually much more effective in how subtle it is. Um, when we talk about the motivations, obviously any sort of vampire is just looking for sustenance and she has the capacity to actually get people to hunt down humans for her because she cannot go out into the daylight. So she, she just wants to live. She wants friendship too. Her motivation, ironically, as the villain is someone who's just looking to connect. So she does ultimately connect with Owen and while her caregiver does bite the dust, Owen becomes her new caregiver in the end, ultimately. It seems like he's ditching his uh, dad and his mom, who he doesn't seem very close to either of them. In terms of originality, as noted, we do have the young vampire scene interview with a vampire, most significantly. I do feel like this does uh, something a little unique with it, in that she does kind of retain that immature spirit. Um, additionally, I do really like that she's connecting with a child, unlike Kirsten Dunst's character who's connecting with Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise. Um, so I do think there is some originality going on in here, and granted, this remake, Let Me In, of Let the Right One In, is innately uh, redundant. Nevertheless, I do think it offers its own flair and value, and I really I really like what, what is done here in terms of the antagonist. If I were to give these two pentagrams, we're talking about Insidious. Because there's so many, it's a little diluted. We don't see enough of the lipstick face man. I'm going to go ahead and give it a 2.5, even though I do feel like a lot of people find this movie probably scarier than I do. I will acknowledge that I liked it a thousand times better the second time I saw it than when I saw it in the theaters. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and give Chloe Moritz's Vampire a proper 3. I think she does Amazingly, the way that she takes out the bullies at the end is pitch perfect. Moving on to the ensemble, I do think that Insidious has probably a better ensemble as a whole. We have some power players here, including Patrick Wilson, who's now become a staple of horror films. Rose Byrne is maybe my new favorite actress, uh, and in the way that she's able to move from serious dramas to genre is uh, impeccable. I, I think she's great in this. I, I think she's very sympathetic in this. I, I like her character much more than I like Patrick Wilson's husband, who's a little um, aloof toward her. Additionally, Wilson's mother, played by Barbara Hershey as Lorraine, is really great in this. She has some really subtle moments, not over the top. Uh, additionally, the kids aren't too bad. Dalton, granted, is in a coma or possessed or on his astral plane for the majority of it, so we don't see a lot of acting from him. The little we do is pretty decent, satisfied with it. And of course, Lynn Shay as our demonologist, our psychic, um, is great. She's awesome. I really liked her much better the second time I saw it. I got invested in her character. I believed when she was seeing things on the ceiling uh, in a way that I hadn't before. It's a hard role to play. You've seen it played by um, that really unique actress in Poltergeist, if you remember her, a very short woman, interesting face with those glasses. I feel like Lynn Shea uh, meets, meets that 
meets that mark and and does does well with this this sort of role that is kind of hard to believe uh, as a whole. And if we look back at Paranormal Activity, that was kind of the weak part of that. The demonologist guy who comes in, Lynn Shea's got a couple of henchmen with her who have the EKG meters or whatever and are able to sketch out the monsters. And I and I really like the way that 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 was set up. And I, I dug it. And I don't think anybody was bad in terms of their performances. Perhaps you could argue that the henchmen were the, the least effective but i still think given the roles given uh what they needed to do within the film i wasn't i wasn't distracted and i thought they did a good enough job um moving on to the ensemble within let me in again this is super strong but we are focusing more on young actors we have cody smith mcphee as owen who's our protagonist um he's 12 years old this is the actor who goes on to play nightcrawler in the x-men series I think he's good. I like him a lot. I think he's very sympathetic. There's the darkness to him. There's, there's he, he's great uh, facial expressions and uh, emoting and his sort of cadence when he is in stressful situations is compelling. I'm down with him. I also think Chloe Grace Moritz is great. I think almost maybe better than she is now as an adult. I think the kind of rawness that we see in her vampire is uh, astounding. Um, and of course you have award-winning Richard Jenkins, top-notch, Cara Bueno, who I've come to love via Stranger Things. She really hit it out of the park in Stranger Things Season 3. And in here you see a drunken mother, disaffected, not really connecting with her son. Um, even when we talk about the detective, Elias Coteas, he's great. He's a character actor everyone would recognize. I think he does well in this role. It makes you care for this detective in a way you might otherwise not. And I don't remember caring for the detective in the initial uh, foreign language film of this entity, this book. Um, so if we're going to give them pentagrams, I'm going to go ahead and say that the Ensemble for Insidious is a proper three, and I would say that this is a proper three, too. I, granted, I did say earlier that I think Insidious is stronger, but I'm thinking about the sort of task that these kids had in pretty much running this movie. Uh, I'm going to give them a little bonus point. I might say 2.5 as a whole, but I'm going to give them both three now across the board. Let's go ahead and talk about the surviving characters in Insidious. One could argue that Rose Byrne is our surviving character, or maybe Ty Simpkins as Dalton, their child, who is pretty much in a coma in the astral plane for the majority of the film, but is able to escape when his own father, Patrick Wilson, who also has the capacity to enter the astral plane, is able to go in there, hunt him down, get him back in his body, but despite this fact, when he's trying to come back into his own body, we have the lipstick-faced demon who takes him over, ultimately becomes murderous himself, killing our Lin Shay demonologist character, seemingly. I'm not sure if that's the case in the sequels, though, for some reason. I want to say she comes back. Uh, beyond that, though, uh, you could you could say that it's Rose Byrne. She's dealing with kind of a aggressive husband at the end, a uh, completely distant husband prior to that. She's dealing with a family that's kind of falling apart, has a newborn on top of her two young boys, is really the one that is the most tormented by these demons. At the end, her means of escape is ultimately sacrificing her husband for her child, which I find profound. I, I think she's great in this. I think she's great in everything. Granted, I'm definitely biased when it comes to Rose Byrne, um, but I did see a determination to survive. Her acting ability is uh, amazing. 
and I think there is a iconic status in terms of like millennial horror. People know Insidious more than a lot of these films, and granted it really didn't strike a note with me when I saw it in the theater to begin with, but talking subsequently to people about it, I find that a lot of people really, really like this film, and I think a lot of it has to do with uh, Rose, Rose Byrne um, and the powerful performance she gives as ultimately our surviving girl, and even, even Dalton as our surviving child. Uh, moving on to the surviving characters in Let Me In, Cody Smith McPhee is Owen. Owen does live at the end, even though the bullies try to ultimately drown him. They're, they're taunting him. They say he has to stay underwater for at least three minutes, which is not going to happen for the kid. He's struggling at one minute. At that one-minute mark, we have our vampire heroine come in here. Heroine, antagonist, whatever you want to call her. Come in there, slice up ultimately the three bullies as well as the main bully's older brother, who is the one that is physically holding him in the water, or Owen in the water. So um, they both do survive, and it would seem that Owen is willing to ditch his drunk mother and become Chloe's new attendant, if you will, because of the final scene. We have them both on a train getting away from this town, which apparently is in New Mexico. Uh, despite all the snow, so it's one of those months in Mexico where it is that cold, um, and they get away, and she's in this like ultimately trunk slash coffin sort of thing, and they communicate to each other via knocks and scratches, which I loved. Um, I'm really happy that he survived, and I'm happy that she survived too. Granted, the very likable detective is murdered by her grisly style, if you will. Um, and I, I'm still rooting for her. And it's kind of a funny little scene here where, where the the detective is reaching out for Owen to kind of like help him. But instead of like, it seems like he's reaching for his hand too to like give him a little bit of support. But ultimately he closes the door on our poor cop. Um, so in terms of surviving characters, I love that both of our kids survive here and they ditch their adult role models entirely. I think that's super profound um, and iconic. So I'm going to go ahead and give Insidious's surviving characters only a 2, and I'm going to go ahead and give Let Me In surviving characters a 3.5. I know, that's pretty juicy. Um, moving on, when we talk about the setting, Insidious is in multiple houses. We have two main houses where these hauntings occur. Um, they're both really fun houses. The, the terrain within them are unique. Uh, it's way better than what, what goes on in Paranormal Activity, which seems kind of like a box. This has multiple dimensions. We get to see the attic more profoundly, as well as the bedrooms and the living space and the kitchen. They all kind of take on their own character. I, I think they do well with the setting, given that it isn't very original, and it's something we've seen so many times before in Poltergeist or Amityville Horror, where there's a, a house that is just plagued. But granted, in Insidious, they do do something a little original, and it's not so much the house, it is the person themselves who is uh, having these ghosts and demons attached to them, because it does travel with them to a second house. I like that. Paranormal does that, though, too, um, which has the same producer, so I'm a little disappointed that there wasn't maybe a new angle that they could have taken in terms of that. But nevertheless, the fact that this kid is detached from his body, stuck in the astral plane, and all of these ghosts and demons want to inhabit his body, I dig. I like that there's more than just the one in Paranormal as well. I, I think the setting is as good as it can get given the parameters of Insidious and how unoriginal that setting is. 
I love Let Me In setting, though. Initially, obviously, we're talking about a Swedish film where it's crazy snowy and arctic and just it matches uh, tonally and thematically what's going on with these characters. This one is in New Mexico, and granted it is during the winter, so we have similar sort of vibes cooking in terms of the atmosphere and the ambience. I think it does a great job with these kind of like run-down, seedy apartment buildings that they live in. We know that he is ultimately uh, impoverished with his mom, and that's the only reason that the vampire and her attendant we're living there too. They could pretty much go unnoticed because of the nature of this building. I, I love also the scenes in the school, specifically the pool too. That final scene in the pool is amazing. Even outside of the apartment building at the playground, some great scenes. It does a lot of the same sort of shots that the initial version does, but they're great and they're worth duplicating. Um, I love when he's stabbing the tree, just trying to like, digest how the bullies have treated him and in another world if he had the guts to actually fight back which ultimately uh chloe moretz does give him the, uh, the kind of balls to do later on in the film so i really liked what's going on in the setting here and i do feel like we hadn't seen this sort of impoverished apartment building before and that playing into the psyche of the characters specifically ch children characters who are dealing with less affluent parents Really dug it. Um, so when we talk about pentagrams, I'm going to go ahead and give Insidious 1.5 because it's not super original, but it does do well with that. And then I'm going to give Let Me In another three. Another three. Let Me In's doing pretty well here. When we move on to the deeper meanings and talk about Insidious, I think Insidious ultimately is, again, like Paranormal Activity was doing, dealing with what it means to be in a high-pressure relationship, romantic relationship, the sort of toll that's taken there. This one takes it one level beyond paranormal activity because we're dealing with three kids. They don't know if it's the kids that are causing problems and knocking books off shelves or it's the ghost. It's how much you can actually get mad when there's so many entities, human or otherwise, within um, your domestic space. And just the sort of turmoil that they face trying to retain some sort of semblance of themselves atop this unit of five. I think it really deals with just domestic hardship and inter interpersonal strife more than anything else when we're talking about deeper meanings. Again, this is very soon after the uh, housing crash in 2008, only a couple of years afterwards. So I do think there's also that playing into effect, just the burden that so many people took on with uh, loans that w they couldn't really handle. Taking on a house um, responsibility that, you know, was uh, villainously uh, given to them, sort of, in a way. I exploit They were exploited, in a way, based on what happened with the banks and um, the housing crisis of 2008. So I think that's still bleeding into what's going on here um, thematically. When we talk about deeper meanings and let me in, uh, significantly it takes out one of the most important aspects of the first film, which proves that our vampire child is actually a boy. On uh, this one, they just keep her a girl. She's the daughter um, and Thomas's daughter, but I, I don't, or she poses as Thomas's daughter rather. I, I'm a little disappointed because on multiple occasions they bring up I'm not really a girl. She says, I'm not a girl. And I think within that first film and the book, that is such a significant point to leave out of this one. And granted, they're trying to appeal to a larger audience, and it's still effective no matter what. But initially, I think 
let me in or let the right one in rather was dealing with the sort of gender normative stuff with vampirism uh, to, to an extent that interview tries to do but this one takes it to the next level does it more profoundly more in depth this begins to do that it touches on it but I don't feel like it goes as deep as the initial incarnation. I think this one focuses more on the relationship within um, a domestic space with a alcoholic mother, or a substance substance abuse within the home, and, and the sort of disconnect that happens there. Uh, atop, perhaps, the nature of the school system where these bullies can get away with what they get away with and how these teachers are almost incentivized to not pay attention in a weird way. So in terms of deeper meanings and pentagram allotment, I'm gonna go ahead and give Insidious a proper two, and I'm gonna go ahead and give Let Me In another two as well. I don't think it nearly went as deep as the book or Initial Incarnation, um, and it could have easily gotten a four if it went there and made our vampire girl um, a boy at the end, and ultimately having Owen not really care about that would have been interesting. Um, going on a fright factor, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that Insidious did not scare me when I saw it in the theater. I was kind of put off by how run-of-the-mill it was when I initially saw this in 2010. I will say upon a second viewing, I liked it a thousand times more. There were some moments where I was genuinely frightened. Uh, granted, this is not like a gory movie in any way. This is more of a psychological horror thriller. Um, kill counts are kind of negligible if any at all unless you want to call the people that are the ghosts that have died you could argue that Lynn Shay does die in this but I do believe she comes back not a lot of kills in Insidious if any uh, arguably and the quality of the kills are um, you know a strangulation is the only one that is uh, plausibly within the film not super imaginative when it comes to that I think they spend most of their time on just creating this haunted haunted sphere uh, that is effective, and there is a decent music design to it. I like some of the peripheral songs, some of the actual soundtrack, some old-timey music that's involved that is super creepy. Um, and the scariest scene, as I noted before, to me was the moment that the lipstick, lipstick face man pops up during broad daylight behind Patrick Wilson's character when his mom is talking to him just candidly. Um, it just out of nowhere. Freaks her out, freaks me out a little bit. Because he is... He is affectingly scary um, the, the design of this character um, in the fright factor let me in I'm gonna tell you this is not super scary for me either I love some of the deaths though I do think that the kill count is way higher obviously we have at least five people die in this film um, and some of the kills are great when she drops down from the tree like a cougar on that girl and then the girl ultimately becomes turned into a vampire when she's in the hospital uh, the nurse opens the curtains and she combusts and it's such a firestorm that she catches the nurse on fire too, who also pretty much is toast. Amazing scene, the scene where the sheriff is, or the detective rather, um, taken down by Chloe Moritz as well, is a great scene, super grisly, gory, not necessarily scary because you sympathize with that vampire, you kind of want her to live, you want her to go on with Owen because he's been so bullied and he needs someone like her to big up him, uh, that I think that did take away from the scare factor, but I did think it was a profound horror film, um, beautiful almost, r romantic in, in a strange way, uh, especially given that we have child leads. I, I really enjoyed it as a whole, but I didn't necessarily find it that scary. 
the music and sound design are also great. And um, as noted, the scariest scene would probably be when she's licking up his blood and then runs out of the room like mad. She, she Ultimately, she, Owen is dripping a little blood from his hand there after she kind of slices him, uh, licks it up off the ground, and then she's starting to turn and bolts out and climbs a tree like a cougar. It was a spooky, scary scheme. I enjoyed it. It was, it was great effects. Um, and the way she just drops down and tears out the neck of the girl walking her dog. Great, great stuff. Great horror. Um, but in terms of Fright Factor, not like other scary films um, in terms of the pentagrams I would give it. Insidious, I'm going to go ahead and give a 1.5 in terms of scares. And I'm going to give two. And I think that's generous to let me in in terms of the Fright Factor. So, ladies and gentlemen, the bell has rung. It does turn out that Let Me In is the most iconic horror film of the year 2010. It's got a lot more going on. It is considerably more deep than Insidious. Insidious is a good film, but it does have that restrictions of the PG-13. Both of them have phenomenal casts. I just think that Let Me In is dealing with harder topics, has more profound scenarios to compel deeper performances as well. Um, It's a movie that I'm more likely to watch over and over again than I would watch Insidious again for a third time. Probably wouldn't happen for a while, but I am curious about what's going on in the subsequent installments of Insidious. And I know that there's a whole Insidious world that's been built. So in terms of the lasting impact of that, you got to give it to Insidious for that, because I think that The Conjuring is part of that world too now, and Annabelle, right? Uh, so you got to give that credit. That's that's a big deal. If you're able to milk it as they have, Let Me In does not compare when it comes to lasting impact. And I know more people have seen Insidious than Let Me In, but frankly, more people should see Let Me In because it is that good. So I thank you for listening. Um, if you want to support this podcast, please do go to my media hub, which is at parasociable.com. That's spelled P-A-R-A-S-O-C-I-A-B-L-E.com. Um, there you will find comedy horror shorts, uh, my albums with my buddy Josh Kirkland and our band Compudactyl, as well as my novel about the dream recording industry, Company Dreamer. But until the next time, as they say in the business, the bell has rung.